Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Claire Navarro. For today's episode, we'll be hearing from David Wright, chair of the mathematics department here at Washington University in St. Louis. In his own research, Wright specializes in an area of algebra called affine geometry and polynomial automorphisms. But that's not what we'll be hearing about today. Instead, Professor Wright turns our attention to the intersections between mathematics and music. In addition to being a mathematician, Wright is also a musician. And for the past 10 years, he's taught an undergraduate course on math and music. But his personal passion for both these topics isn't the only reason why he designed the course. I think we encourage people to be good analytically or good artistically, but we rarely integrate those. In fact, we treat them as if they were two desperate things. Now, me being a mathematician and a musician, I've never felt that way. You know, I personally have no trouble going back and forth between the right and left side of the brain, so to speak. I'm not sure that those are psychologically correct terms, but we say right brain, left brain. And what I encourage students to do is get good at integrating those two, to be bi-brainal, so to speak. And so I encourage the students to be analytical, quantitative, artistic, emotional, all those things. Same brain, same thought. According to Professor Wright, learning about the connections between mathematics and music is a natural way to create this sort of link between approaching the world analytically and artistically. I think that mathematics is the most abstract of the sciences. I think that music really is the most abstract of the arts. It's the most abstract because you can create emotion and moods with just sound waves. You don't even need lyrics. So it's natural that a person who's attracted to one is also attracted to the other. Now, this isn't the case for everyone. Wright knows that many musicians are disinterested or even a little bit afraid of mathematics. However, it certainly was true for Wright himself. After growing up surrounded by music, over time he began noticing more and more connections with math. I became more and more aware of, you know, certain relationships, some of which involved physics of sound and acoustics, but others uh, of which involved just relationships between ordinary mathematical phenomena, such as modular arithmetic and things that happen in music. As these connections became increasingly apparent, Wright began envisioning a college course based on the idea. Until one day... Finally stuck my neck out and just said, yeah, I'll start teaching it. Then, of course, I was scared to death that I wouldn't have enough to say, so I worked up this careful set of course notes and... You know, not only did I make it through the semester, but I wasn't able to cover everything. Unlike some similar courses at other universities, there are no prerequisites for Wright's course. Students don't have to know calculus to get in the door. One of the more basic connections involves simple counting. And as Wright explains, mathematics is a fundamental part of the horizontal structure, or rhythm, of music. Certain mathematical concepts are very natural to the human brain. 
So one of them is the number two. <laughs> it appears in the horizontal structure of music in that we can easily subdivide an interval of time into two. If you start beating at a constant rhythm, it's easy for you to double the rhythm. You can quadruple the rhythm by doubling it twice. It's also possible to triple that rhythm. People can do that pretty well. But if I ask you to multiply the rhythm by seven, that's pretty tough. Most of us couldn't do it. This type of relationship is also apparent in the vertical structure of music, or the pitch. What's the most basic musical interval? It's the octave. So the octave is just twice the frequency. So on a much faster level, that's the same concept. It's beating twice as fast. So you've got the imposition of one frequency and another frequency going twice as fast against each other creates the most natural interval in music. The octave is such a natural interval for the human ear that the names of notes themselves, the basic notation of music, is based on this idea. I say a note is an E-flat, I haven't told you which E-flat it is. There's all kinds of E-flats on the piano, but what do they share? They, their interval is an octave or two octaves or three octaves apart. This sort of mathematical relationship is also at work in overtones or harmonics. As Wright explains, overtones are present in every sustained tone, even in things like our speech. When you hear a tone, you're not only hearing that tone, you're hearing something twice, three times, four times, five times that frequency. So that sequence of tones are called the overtones or harmonics. And it's the relative weight, the relative presence of those that, that give your ear and mine the ability to distinguish timbre. It's exactly the way you distinguish a trombone from a trumpet or my voice from yours or an E from an O. It's that series of overtones. Now, usually we don't hear them as actual pitches, but in some cases, if you have enough voices reinforcing a, a note, all of a sudden you begin to hear one or more of the overtones as actual pitches. And a lot of times in vocal music, especially the kind that I do, all of a sudden you're singing and you have a, a good octave relationship with another part or something and you hear pitches and you say, wow, I just heard an overtone. Here's an example from the Ambassadors of Harmony, three-time champions of the Barbershop Harmony Society's International Contest. Wright serves as associate director of the Ambassadors of Harmony, and he creates arrangements for the group. Listen closely. One of these pitches isn't actually being sung. What you're hearing is an overtone. This is certainly a beautiful phenomenon, but what's going on mathematically? Basically, a pitch is us interpreting a sound wave. So that's a regular oscillation. It's something oscillating and just doing the same thing over and over again. And in mathematics, we have something called a periodic function. If you were to graph it, it's motion with respect to time, you would just have function that's repeating itself. What if it does in this interval, does in the next interval, does in the next interval? Now, most people remember high school or someplace where you graph the sine function. And what does it do? It's just a simple curve. It goes up, goes down to the x-axis, goes down below and back up again. So its natural period is 2 pi. 
it looks exactly on the interval from 0 to 2 pi like it does in 2 pi to 4 pi, but it just keeps doing that. It's got a sound. It's a dull hum. Now I can double it, and it's the same dull hum, but it's an octave up. I can triple it, get even higher pitch. But if I start adding multiples of the sine, the sine, the sine with double the frequency, the sine with triple the frequency, I will get a more complex periodic function. Now, basically, those multiples are nothing other than the harmonics that we hear, those overtones that we just talked about. There's a bit more to the explanation, but here's the overall idea. There's a mathematical way of stating the fact that a tone is comprised of its, its overtones. So one is math, the other is music, but they really are the same phenomenon. That's a very beautiful connection of math with music. And really, it's a pretty high level of math. I, I do talk about the periodic functions and, and the, what's called the Fourier series, which is what I just described. Uh, the students haven't had calculus. I teach them a little bit. Some of them get frightened, but I try to assuage their fear. And uh, we try to understand why overtones are, arise from just the harmonic analysis of periodic functions. Wright just mentioned that some of his students are a little nervous about the idea of calculus. But in any given class, there are some students that are more wary of the musical concepts. As a professor, that's just part of the excitement of teaching to a diverse group of undergraduates. It's funny because I have groups of students, and some of them might be art majors or history majors, and they may be quite comfortable with the musical notation and those concepts, but they're a little afraid of the math concepts. I have engineers that the math is easy for them. When I start talking about major and minor triads and analyzing chords, they're a little nervous. So my job is to bring them all together and just tell everybody, look, some of the material in this course you already know, and some of the other material in the course someone else already knows, and we're just going to shore up our knowledge and, and try to understand why these two subjects work together. No matter what their major is, over the course of the semester, Wright students learn to look at and listen to music mathematically. One piece of music they examine is Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. So one of the things I do in, the, in my class is give them just a little bit of music theory, which is what is a major chord, what's a minor chord, and then other chords that have four notes, such as seventh chords, minor seventh chords, diminished chords, and whatnot. And uh, Beethoven's uh, Moonlight Sonata is very interesting because all the way through it arpeggiates chords. So what I ask the students to do is just identify those chords, but also make some observations about harmonically where the song is going. It uh, kind of is in a minor key, but then all of a sudden it ends up in the major key. The students go on to use these concepts to create their own music. The class includes assignments that require them to create a score and MP3 of original compositions that illustrate ideas from the class. Though some of these original pieces of music end up being more artistic or beautiful than others, this exercise is a practical way to teach the link between art and science that Wright believes is always present. I think the great scientists have a sense of beauty and elegance in their work that you might call art. 
I think the great artists have a sense of quantity and proportion in their work that you might call science. Any great piece of music, I, I, I hear mathematics in it. It may be that the composer was thinking analytically, or it may be that that was just innate, that the, that the composer just gravitated towards something that had uh, proportion in it. But, but it's there. Uh, the science and the art are, are there together. So that's important. Many thanks to David Wright for contributing to Hold That Thought. You can find a link to his faculty profile, as well as many more ideas to explore, on our website or at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustl.edu. You can also search for Hold That Thought on Facebook, Twitter, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.